Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it, like um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Morning, New Zealand. Good morning. It's 9.03 here on SENZ. Cricket, golf, rugby, general knowledge, racing, more general knowledge, more rugby, and then some upsets to talk about between 9 and 12. It's going to be a hugely busy and interesting morning, so stay with us, folks. Stay with us. Sport is our religion, and here is Smithy's Sermon. Now, I'm not a tree hugger by any stretch of the imagination, and this sermon is exactly that. In fact, when my golf ball is either up one or behind one, I kind of wish my 15th club was a Kubota anything. They've been felling them by the number at our golf club. It's time to get them milled. The market is at a good point. Maximise the income for a course redevelopment. wouldn't say that all the members are that chuffed. They've had 20-plus years' history, and their absence has changed the character and the feel of the mighty bridge par at the famous slightly upmarket Christchurch Golf Club. They are being decimated apparently. 70 years of growth and character reduced to the ground. Apparently the course was never supposed to have trees. It was really a lynx course with dunes and dips and hollows. They finally found that out 70 years later. I haven't heard the members point of view, but a group of neighbors are savage. It's ugly, it's an eyesore. It's changed the character and feel of the place and possibly a bit of the market value. And a tall tree was felled yesterday at Flushing Meadow. Novak the Serb came crashing down at the hands of Daniel the Russian. With numerous forehand and backhand blows, the Joker was quickly reduced to a sobbing mess with only his towel to protect them and a broken racket for company. It was yet another reminder that loss, disappointment and failure to achieve that goal can openly affect even the champions. It's not just the young and vulnerable who are the delicate ones. Millions bore witness to it. It was quite sad actually to watch as uh, the two hours that passed, Djokovic rolled out all the full book of emotions. But he impressively finished with humility and grace. And he will be back, just like Arnold. No such luck for those golf club trees. They're gone for good, gone for wood. Progress. Put it down to progress. Apparently you've got to knock something down to go forward these days. Nine oh five here on SENZ Cricket. Uh, we begin with today because uh, it's a nice 
time slot to get someone in the Caribbean live onto the show, and that's exactly what we've done. We've got uh, Tim Seifert with us. He's currently playing for the Trinbago Knight Riders. They've qualified top for the Caribbean Premier League semi-finals, which uh, get underway uh, overnight, actually. Uh, so uh, Tim Seifert joins us now for the beautiful, beautiful, and it is, Island of St. Kitts. Uh, hello there, Tim. How are you going? So I think, how are you, mate? I'm doing very well, thank you. As you said, very you lucky. Are doing, country, you are doing. A little bit over. Yeah. You are doing well, mate. You are doing well. Um, and uh, with your, your captain, Kieran Pirate, uh, Pollard going big, very big, with a quick-fire century, uh, you guys look on track, uh, playing very, very well. Yeah, we are playing well. We started tournament a bit slow, um, and, you know, we, we kind of probably had that to kick us up the butt a little bit and get get going in the tournament, but we finished the tournament well, and I think that's key We're in tournaments, finishing the back end and, and momentum to the semi-finals. So looking forward to tomorrow. How have uh, you been feeling about your own game, mate? Yeah, I've been uh, feeling good. I mean, I've probably changed roles um, than I have been in New Zealand. I'm batting about four to five um, and sometimes six, depending on the situation, if Kieran Pollard wants to go up the order or not. So, yeah, I've been feeling good. Um, I've put the team in some good positions to win the game, but we just haven't got quite over the line. But on the whole, getting the team in that position to win is, is key as well. So, no, I'm feeling good, and I've had a little new role. I've only kept a couple games because um, Dinesh did his hamstring, so he he's back playing. Um, so I only kept a couple games. So it's been fun in the field. Um, I've only dropped one catch, so hopefully that's the last. <laughs> <laughs> hey Tim, um, so yeah. how do you feel about that new role in the batting department in particular? Is it part of the learning process, I guess, in the game? Yeah, I don't mind it, to be honest, because um, that's kind of where I started my career with Northern Districts and, and the Black Caps in my first QT20. So it's, it's nothing new to me, um, but it's just kind of going back to what what I know, um, and, and that's where I started. And, and it's just the manage of about adapting to the conditions, and the conditions are a lot different over here. Obviously, the whole tournament's in one ground, and there's only three pitches, so... The the pitches have been challenging, but that's awesome for your game as well to keep developing on on harder pitches, and and that's only good for your game. I often felt, as a, from a wicket keeping point of view, that if you can get a bit of a run round in the field every now and then, it it does you good. You, know, you can stretch your legs a wee bit. You see it from another perspective, um, but you don't want to stay away from it for too long. So you're working pretty hard at it still. Yeah, that's a hundred percent right. So I I think keepers always love. Um, getting out on the field, running around, having a dive and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, no, definitely been um, keeping up with it. Obviously, with things to come, I will be behind the sticks. Um, so it's such a quick tournament here. So we've only had two trainings uh, while the tournament's on. But those two trainings, I've, I've been doing keeping work. Um, and then, obviously, um, head to the Dubai in a couple of days and, and we'll be getting a lot of opportunity to um, trainings and, and games depending if I play or not but there'll be a lot of training opportunities so that'll be awesome for the keeping as well and then you know having James Foster and Brendan McCullum over there um, you know working with them is going to be fantastic for the keeping as well. So what are the things um, that you've been looking at working on in, in terms of, of your wicket keeping I mean you know, nice to think that we'd be perfect every day at it, but it's the kind of art that requires um, <laughs> some constant tinkering, isn't it? 
Yeah, exactly. And I think um, the, the big thing that I've learned probably the last couple of years, and I think my keeping is only going upwards, is that, you know, just being yourself. Um, I think also you try and wicket keep house, maybe some keepers want to see their keeper, um, rather than just being yourself and trying to catch as many balls as possible. Um, so that's one big learning that I've probably had over the last three years, um, is just be myself um, and just wicket keep what's natural to me. Um, and just little things. I mean, it's same with batting. Sometimes the most easiest stuff. Sometimes you forget, like watching the ball and just you know, not being not not necessarily lazy, but um, you know, just watching that ball as you know, keeping right into the hands rather than not watching the last foot because then that's if it takes a nick or anything like that, then that's where you, that's where the word hard hands come into play, which there's no such thing really. But um, you know, that's just not from watching the ball. What do you make of uh, the CPL as a whole this season? It's quite quite a quick fire event, uh, and you've, of course you've got Colin Munro with you in the ranks. Yeah, so I, I I really enjoy the CPL. Obviously, as I said before, the the conditions are hard this year uh, with with the tournament only being in, in one ground, and um, you know I'm always wanting to learn. So it's been awesome, um, you know, being over here and and being in the change room with guys like Kieran Pollard, um, Narayan, um, you know. I kept the whole tournament to Narayan last year and, and the last um, couple of games over here. And, and wicket-keeping to someone like that who can spin the ball both ways, um, it's an amazing feeling being a keeper. You know that you're in the game every ball. Um, but also having Munners here, you know, he's he's they call him the Brian Lara of... Um, <laughs> Of the CPL because you know he's had a he's had a great um, last few years in the CPL and and he's doing well um, this year as well. So the environment is awesome here in in, in TKR um, and it's an easy environment to fit in as an overseas player. The next one you go to uh, Tim is one you're familiar with as well. That's uh, called Cutter Night Riders uh, with Baz Brennan McCullum actually at the helm there. Uh, and you're halfway through. So what are the prospects uh, of the continuation uh, for your team uh, going forward in the upcoming resumption of the IPL? Yeah, it's obviously a bit of a strange one with um, obviously COVID hitting um, the tournament and kind of it's been split up in two really. So I think for us, maybe maybe it's a good thing because um, you know, we weren't doing too well. Um, in the in the first stage of the tournament, um, you know, we we just weren't winning those close games. But hopefully, you know that that this could be a good little break for us. Um, everyone refresh, um, know where we are. I think we're I think we basically need, need to win. We got seven games, at least five games, um, to make the semi final. So I think the boys are excited from all, from what I hear. Um, they're all training well, um, but you know I think they're ready to go. And hopefully, this break's been good for us. It's 9.13 here on SENZ New Zealand time. We're talking to Tim Seifert, who is in uh, the beautiful island of St. Kitts uh, in the Caribbean, taking part in the, the CPL playoffs uh, been getting tonight, New Zealand time. Uh, also, of course, um, some of your teammates, uh, your Black Cap teammates, are in other parts of the world. Are you keeping an eye on the progress there? Yeah, I have been. I've been um, in touch um, with the Black Cap boys, obviously, in Bangladesh, and I was uh, got up at 6 o'clock and and watch those. So that was awesome to see the boys. And then um, I've been talking to a few of them as well who are in lockdown at the moment. And obviously those Bangladesh lads um, are out of quarantine and, and they're back training. So, no, I think, you know, so once again, it, it was a tough tournament. Read the wickets. Um, you know, the, 
the experience on those kind of wickets. Not many of the boys had um, had been to, but awesome to see them fire back. Um, that just means that they're learning over there and, and learning quickly. So it's exciting. And I've obviously never been to Pakistan myself, but the, the boys that have been say that they're actually quite nice batting wickets. So once again, it's com- will be completely different wickets. And, and that's where as cricketers, it's it's awesome traveling the world and hopefully um, learning quickly on, on these all these different kind of wickets. Well, it becomes important then, I think more important, the wicket-keeping role, because even whilst it's, you know, it's tending to, the speciality side of it is tending to drift away from the game, I disagree with that. It should be um, more prevalent now, because the emphasis so much now in T20 and one-day cricket is on slow bowling or spin bowling in those conditions. So I think it becomes more mm. important to have a keeper with a high strike rate. Mm. Yeah, I, I fully agree. And also, in T20 cricket, not so much one-day cricket, but mainly in T20, T20 cricket, if you do touch the ball, it's, it's more times not an opportunity as well. Um, so, you know, if, if you if you don't have an experienced keeper behind the sticks, you know, that, that one chance you might get in that game might be the difference between someone getting 20 or someone going on and get 90. And, and in T20 cricket, it only takes one person to, to get those kind of scores and you're really on the back foot. So I know I fully agree with you, Smithy, is that especially on these um, turning wickets um, around the world, I think your keeper needs to be um, experienced um, in the keeping department. Tim, it was only four or five months ago that uh, you, you hit the headlines because uh, you, you got COVID, um, it was well documented, um, and you were, were basically stuck in, in India while everyone else was able to fly home. Um, what have you What have you taken from that? I mean, it must have been a very depressing and worrying time. But what have you you taken for that? Uh, taken from that? Yeah, it was it was a tough time, but um, you know the support the support was great, and um, you know I think I think it just showed you know um, those little things in life. You know, at the end of the day, are just, are just little, and you, there's no need to worry about them. Um, and you know it's it's still kind of hard to get your head over it really just um that situation that you you're in hopefully um you know i never i never experienced that again but also you know if if i ever do you do know that what it's like and and the experience and um you know i didn't have the the virus um too bad so i wasn't getting affected during the day with the headaches or couldn't breathe so that was the main thing that I felt like I could get out of bed and, um, you know, face the day. Um, but yeah, it was a, it was a short experience, right? Um, kind of having 20, 28 days, um, in the hotel room really with back to back, um, quarantine. So you definitely learn a lot, but you know, you always got to look at the positive side. Um, you know, I, I knew I'd, after a few, few days, I knew I'd get out safe. Um, it was just a matter of when. Um, but yeah, I think, with those things, you just got to try and look on the positive side. Good stuff. Uh, Tim, anyone that watches you play cricket knows you're a very busy cricketer. Um, you know, you, you're, you're an action sort of man there. I, I look at you and I think, yeah, there's a little touch of uh, Brendan McCullum about you and, and some of the things that you do. Um, same stature, um, you know, same look almost. Uh, do you model yourself yeah. or have you modelled yourself on anyone? And uh, the other question I would like to know is, I look some of your mannerisms, particularly when you start or walk out to bat. Do you have any superstitions? 
Um, no, I, I don't have any superstitions. I've got a few routines, but you know, if, if I didn't do it, or you know, it, I wouldn't panic and go, oh, "Oh no, I got to go back and do that again." So I've got a few uh, routines, especially when I when I go out to bat, you know, just get the body moving um, and all, all all that kind of stuff. But I, I wouldn't say it's superstition. You know, I could still go walk out there and, and do no movements and, and still feel like it could score runs. Um, and yeah, obviously, you know, watching uh, McCullum, you know, when I was younger, um, you know, just the way he played the game, puts pressure on the bowlers, you know, it looks like he's enjoying it. Um, I definitely moulded my cricket around those kind of players. Um, and at the end of the day, you still want to be yourself, but, you know, everyone has their, their hero and the people that they kind of look up to um, as younger cricketers or, or sports people. Um, so, yeah, no, it's been awesome um, being able to work with him um, as as a as a coach and as a mentor as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, it's been awesome. Hey, Tim, thanks very much for your time. Uh, it's been great chatting to you. You sound upbeat, you sound well, you sound happy, you sound positive uh, and looking forward to the new challenges. Uh, well, which we can only wish you all the best and thank you again for your time. It's been fantastic talking to you. Awesome. Thank you, Smithy, and we'll see you in the summer. Yep, look forward to that. Absolutely. Tim Seifert there, uh, he's a, an aggressive and fine young cricketer. Uh, you, you like the way he goes about it, his attitude towards the game. I think it's quite infectious and a good, uh, I think a really good uh, indicator for kids who, who want to attack T20 cricket and get into cricket uh, and move it forward. Allah. Allah, I say, Allah, Brendan McCullum. 9.19 here on SENZ, uh, double eight, double three. Uh, I've seen a headline just as I was going to air. They're looking very seriously about a Rugby World Cup every two years. Every two years for a rugby or a world tournament in rugby. What are your feelings about that? Would it dilute the product or would it make it more appealing? A Rugby World Cup possibly every two years. We'll be back shortly. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. A text come in saying, I'm a member of the Christchurch Golf Club and I love the look of the course. Now it's a Lynx course with wind and undulating fairways. Take it from me here. There are only a few members against the cull. Yeah, I think it's more the neighbours. I think from uh, the article that I was reading that the neighbours don't like the look of the place. They say it looks ugly and exposed and... Uh, but that's what you want, as you say, you're dead right, in a, a Lynx course, you want the wind uh, and you want the challenge of, of the ball going up and down and playing run shots and, and things of that nature as opposed to having the protection of the trees. I, I find it quite an interesting story, actually, that it was originally designed to be a Lynx course down there uh, and now, of course, with the growth of the trees, 70 years is a long time for some of those trees just by the by, macrocarpus and, and uh, the like. Uh, a lot of history in them, a lot of growth, but um, they're being levelled, but yeah, uh, it's, it's sad in a way, uh, but also, as I said uh, before in the sermon, uh, sometimes you just have to knock things down to go forward, so uh, that is the way of the world, and it happens a lot, actually, the culling of trees and that around golf courses for various reasons. Uh, in terms of uh, the Rugby World Cup, uh, morning, Smithies is uh, Dave from Karaka. Now, every four years is fine for World Cups, give teams to build to an event, also, who do you think our next wicketkeeper we need to settle on one and let them cement the position? Well, it'll be Tom Blundell in terms of test cricket. Uh, one day international cricket, uh, Tom Latham, I would think, is going to do that because he can cover two strings. He's got two strings to the bow, which means you can add depth to either the bowling or your batting. 
Um, and in terms of uh, the very small form of the game, the T20, it's a battle at the moment between Tim Seifert, who we just talked to, uh, and Devin Conway. That's the way I read it. So we've got uh, four or five quality players, and that doesn't mention the ones that uh, are floating around in first-class cricket in the country who are quite talented as well. So I think, I think we're pretty well served in that department. You've just got to mix and, mix and match those skills and their batting strengths to fit the position and the type of cricket they're about to play. And we're talking to Phil Totorangi uh, very shortly, and uh, Phil will be talking about uh, the Ryder Cup, hopefully. We're going to ask him now that those teams have been finalised over the last uh, three or four days, America naming theirs first, and then uh, Pato Carrington coming up with his combination. A couple of omissions that Phil might like to talk about. Also, uh, where is Ryan Fox in terms of keeping his car? We know the sacrifice he had to make by giving up an MIQ position for him and his family. So he could guarantee his card. He played last weekend. He made the cut. But was it enough? Uh, Phil might have some uh, further information on that. John, and the, uh, the other interesting story that's just come through this morning I've been reading is it looks like Quade Cooper uh, and Will Guinea, for that matter, will get their citizenship uh, in Australia. I just wonder what would have happened if that kick hadn't gone over. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. We'd get Morgan Turanui on just after 11 o'clock. Um, the rise of Quade Cooper has been quite incredible. I mean, this is a guy we love to boo, or some of us did, uh, in New Zealand. Smithy, arch enemy number one uh, for rubbing Richie McCaw on the head. No one touches Richie, um, but now I think we like him. Smithy, I think if he came back to New Zealand and played on Eden Park... I think he'd get a lot more applause than he would booze. Uh, there's just something about a battler who's come back from over four years out of international rugby uh, to kick the match-winning penalty, and he's not even an Aussie citizen. Can we claim him back? He's a Kiwi, isn't he? He is a Kiwi, and he's got a New Zealand citizenship, so he, no problem there, but he wants a dual citizenship. So up until that point, up in, you know, the arguments, uh, he tried, I think, for four times, four or five times to get citizenship. Uh, and been rejected on the basis that they didn't feel he'd contributed enough to Australian society uh, in terms of uh, getting that status. And all of a sudden he kicks, what, seven out of seven or eight out of eight, but uh, crucially the last one in the 81st minute, and everyone wants him in. All the politicians, the federals, the state, the federal, they all say, yeah, get it in. Get that application form in, son. You're ours. You're here to stay. (laughs) (laughs) Just kick it goal. I mean, I know it changed Beaver's life, Alan Houston, we heard about him yesterday, but not to the extent of national citizenship, surely. <laughs> Everyone loves a winner, Smithy. Uh, yeah, and oh, recency oh. bias is a beautiful thing as well. Uh, Quade, you won us the game on Sunday. Sure, you can be a citizen now. Uh, it's just classic, isn't it? And something else we'll talk about this morning um, in the 11 o'clock hour, Smithy, uh, kind of uh, sparked by Emma Raducanu's amazing feat at the US Open. Mm-hmm. The, the greatest upsets will be our Mount, Mount Rushmore today, so our top four upsets in sporting history and I'd love to hear some from the listeners as well because there'll be so many that me and you haven't thought of when we reveal our lists later on but I'm really looking forward to that I think about 20 to 12 today okay yep I, num, what is it double eight double three you're John yes double eight double three or for those of you who prefer it the other way 8833 ends up the same but you get the message across and the message is get involved in that Great sporting upsets over the years. Plenty to think about. 9.30, news time. Uh, 7 o'clock on Saturday morning. You can tee it up with Phil Totorang. It's 9.32 here on a Tuesday 
on SENZ and we're teeing it up with Phil right now because uh, there's quite a bit of talk uh, about in the golfing world even though the PGA, the US PGA Tour is uh, on hold uh, not for long because they begin, begin their season again very shortly uh, they're still playing in Europe and there's a little matter of the Ryder Cup only about eight days away so uh, we'll talk to Phil about that now uh, good morning to you mate uh, first of all uh, Ryan Fox, can we get an update on, on where Ryan Fox is? We know that he made uh, the sacrifice uh, to stay because he wanted to guarantee himself his card. He made the cut over the weekend, uh, didn't finish that high, but was it enough to help out? Yes, morning, Smithy. You're right. Um, Fox, he's kind of been in the situation of the last couple of years of being able to kind of come and go and, and set his schedule around the the, the European Tour tournament season and maybe the events that suit his schedule a little bit more than or suit his game a bit more than um, than than he's had this year and um, unfortunately he's in this precarious position where he's got to play a little bit to ensure that he keeps his card for next year. He's 99th right now. He's actually dropped a couple of spots last week with finishing down the bottom of the pack at the BMW PGA and so Yes, he's given up those uh, the, the trip to come home. He's got his family over there with him. But uh, he's got six tournaments over the next six or seven weeks to uh, to ensure that he's got his fully exempt card for next year. Oh, well. Um, so he would he'd have to get a, a decent check along the way there or uh, just consistently making the cut would be enough? Yeah, well, consistently making the cut's mostly not going to be enough. Smithy, because there's um, going to be a number of players that are in the same sort of position, and a few of them uh, finish ahead of, of Ryan, and he could may well make the cut and actually drop spots like he did last week. So, yeah, one good finish would certainly help. And uh, looking at the courses that are across those six tournaments, um, there's not many of them that stick out that say that suits Foxy's game or where he has played well in the past. The one that does is at the old course at St Andrews, the Dunhall Links which is in three weeks' time. He's played well at St Andrews just about every time he's teed it up. Carnoustie seems to suit his game along with Kings Barnes. And so it's the Pro-Am format. I'm not sure if he's playing with Warney this year. He's played up there with Warney mm. the last uh, last couple of years. And so maybe a little bit of light-hearted banter may well help his game as well in that tournament. Yeah, I think they're great mates. They get on very, very well. Uh, birds of a feather, really. They've both got a bit of a cheeky <laughs> aspect to them. So... Hey, um, let's start talk about the, this Ryder Cup because it is, it, without doubt, one of the true, truly great sporting events, uh, and I, I absolutely uh, will be glued to it. Now, let's look at both teams now that they've been finalised. Tell us, um, what does a captain's pick mean? I mean, what are we looking for in a captain's pick? Are we looking for current form? Uh, are we looking for a kind of bloke who's going to walk into the team room and make the team gel together? What What are the actual qualities? They need. Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question, Smithy. And as experienced as it is, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a few numbers here and then pose a question back to you. Um, I, I think, look, both both teams have got form players. No two doubts about that. Uh, and, and you know, you don't, you don't become one of the best twelve players in Europe or the best twelve players to represent the United States, and your game is not up to it. So. You know, it's it's fair to say that uh, if if you're a captain selection, and, and things have been changing here in the last few years, uh, certainly in the US side, um, where they've gone a lot more to the players as opposed to the captains, and said, okay, 
these are the players we're looking at. Which ones do you think are going to gel with your game? And certainly the senior players on both sides have had a lot more input. The European team have done that a lot more uh, than the US in years past, and their record suggests that that's been a successful component. But, but the question I want to throw back at you is that Captain Padraig Harrington and Steve Stricker have gone in two totally different directions with their captain selection. Stricker, they, they changed the, uh, the format, or they're certainly qualifying format, and the number of captain selections he had with this Ryder Cup being delayed 12 months due to everything that's happened in the world over the last couple of years. He's gone with four of his six selections being rookies, being young guys, being form players that have uh, certainly shown themselves over the last 12 months or so. For, for uh, Padraig Harrington, he's gone with, well, one of them is his best mate since he was a kid, Shane Lowry, um, and, and the Open champion from a couple of years ago and, and someone who's played very well. You wouldn't call him a young player but he's going to be a Ryder Cup rookie. This is going to be his first go-round. And then he's gone to the stalwarts in Sergio Garcia, Andy and Poulter, who have delivered on so many occasions for the European team over the last few years. So the question is, is what's more important? Is it exuberance, the usefulness, uh, the rookies, or is it experience in this situation? And, and for mine, look, you can argue both ways. It will be very interesting, however, um, with with whistling straights that are being played in the United mm. States, um, with a golf course that's longer than most on the European tour, whether that may well play into the hands of the US team. I look at that. That's a very uh, interesting point that you bring up there. I look at the, the personalities there, and of the two that um, of the three that you mentioned, Garcia. Uh, Lowry and Poulter. Uh, I, I look at Lowry as being fairly staunch sort of a bloke. You, you can see that he's enjoying his game and what have you, but his emotions you, you, you think are a little more kept in check and, and under, under his cap as such. When it comes to the Ryder Cup, Sergio Garcia and Ian Poulter seem to get younger. So I think this, the exuberance, mm. because they are the ones, they are the ones that the crowd look to to fire them up. And Poulter uh, belies his age. Uh, for five or six days every two years, and he looks like a, a, a cat that's just got the cream, a new kid on the block. And Garcia also is, is a bit of a motivator. So I see those two guys in that kind of a role, a dual-purpose role, regardless of how old they are. So that would be my, my take on, on that one, Phil. But what, what I need to know really is you look at feeling in a team, you look at wanting to play for each other. The Americans seem to have, you know, in the past... A bit of an attitude about them is that they almost know each other too well uh, and know each other's traits, and they don't want to be part of some of it. And I put one of the guys in there that's missed out, uh, Captain Fantastic or Captain America, was Patrick Reed for so long because of this very event, and now he's not there. Yeah, look, he's he's been divisive in the team as well. Um, And when you have a look at that, you've got a few characters there that, that maybe aren't putting the team first. Uh, or haven't done that in the past. Uh, Bryson uh, is, is certainly a lightning rod, uh, and, and not all of the players, when I have a look at that US team, not all of the players would expect to receive a Christmas card from Bryson and vice versa. Um, you, the, the, the long-standing, uh, I guess, <laughs> relationship breakdown is the PC way of putting it, but 
uh, quabble, I guess, that uh, that Bryson and Brooks Kepka has had. Of course, Kepka's got a wrist injury. We don't even know whether he's actually going to be fit enough to go. Um, and then you throw a cat amongst the pigeons all together with, we were also just mentioning this, and Billy Horschel, who won the BMW PGA and wasn't one of those players that was on the shortlist for Steve Stricker um, after he made his selections. And so there's a little bit of, I guess, uh, disruption, some uncertainty around the US team. Um, numbers mean really nothing. They are the hands-down favourite, Smithy, on paper, as they are most years, because mm. of the strength of the FedEx uh, Cup and the, and the PGA Tour. However, when they all teared up, and I was speaking to Andrew Coulthard, a former European Tour player on our show on Saturday morning, he says when you see them standing on the first tee, uh, Poulter, Garcia, Westwood, regardless of what their form looks like, they can look right through the likes of DJ, uh, Justin Thomas, uh, the, the young guys on, on, the European, on the American team that may well have the form and they may well have the majors, but when it comes to playing for their continent, uh, they look absolutely right through them as if they're Mel Gibson on the fighting fields in Scotland. <laughs> Brilliant. Absolute great. Uh, I like that analogy. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, we'll, we'll catch up with you again, of course, next Tuesday when uh, it's only a matter of uh, a couple of sleeps away from uh, beginning at Whistling Straits. In the meantime, uh, you can uh, listen to Phil on Saturday mornings at 7 o'clock here on SCNZ, teared up with Phil Tautarangi. Excellent stuff as usual. 9.42 here on SCNZ. Uh, when we come back, uh, it'll just about be multi-time, but we, uh, we want to hear from you as well. Your sporting upsets. Your sporting upsets on the back of that wonderful performance by that beautiful young lady uh, at the US Open the other day. Would she be in your top four? Would Emma be in your top four? That's the question. Uh, we've had a one or two come through already. Predictable ones, I'm sure. They'll both be in, um, I would think, or both in John and my predictions anyway. But keep them coming in. Very interesting to hear your perspective. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Some great stuff coming out of Australia in terms of news and little gems to talk about. Jonathan Thurston has revealed he has a spending allowance of just $300 a week. The rest of his earnings go straight into his collection of investments. He's a multi-million dollar share portfolio, a 50% stake in an emerging Queensland transport company, Skytrans, eight pieces of real estate, a 1967 Ford Shelby GT, Mustang 500, Super Snake worth up to half a million dollars as a limited release supercar. The work ethic and discipline is still at the core of his financial strategy and his spending remains measly considering the obscene wealth at his disposal. Interesting uh, the way he, he looks at uh, going about things, but certainly yeah, he's got one, two, three, four kids so he's uh, setting them up pretty well for the future. There's no doubt about that. Right, the text coming through uh, about uh, sporting upsets. Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson might might not be on my list a little bit later on. If ever there was a foregone conclusion, that must be it, says Steve. Thanks for that. Aaron Baddeley winning the 1999 Australian Open as an unknown amateur. Uh, one that I hadn't considered, but uh, surely should. One that I had, Japan beating South Africa at the Rugby World Cup. So you hear our definite list uh, around about uh, 11.40 this morning. Uh, so it's uh, John Day and I and uh, our Mount Rushmore. John, um, you've come up with some pretty interesting stats there about the, the rugby championship. 
which uh, I find predictable, but not to the extent that they are. Yeah, like a lot of talk this week since Sunday night's games, just the difference between the way the All Blacks play their uh, rugby and the way the Springboks play their rugby. We all knew it from earlier on in the year, but until you see it in a double header, kind of side by side like that, you don't really realise. And a lot of people hitting out, even Nisbo, your old mate Nisbo, he was on ECNZ yesterday um, with Staffy saying, it's horrible rugby. Uh, the style that the Springboks are playing. And let's just break down the numbers. The amount of passes that each team made over the weekend. The All Blacks made 243 passes in their game against Argentina. Argentina made 115 passes. And I think possession was about 70-30. So that that works out. Uh, The Wallabies, 129 passes. The Springboks, 54 passes in an entire game of rugby and 26 kicks. So every two times they pass the ball, they kick the ball once. The All Blacks, 243 passes with 24 kicks. Every 10 times we get the ball, we pass it nine times, and we kick it once, Smithy. So that's the difference between the styles. I mean, is that fair enough? Are the Springboks allowed to play that way? Do their fans enjoy them playing that way? Because most of the time, apart from Sunday, they do win. They might have passed it less against the Lions. They might have passed it less against Argentina and South Africa. If you look at the style of rugby that uh, they employed in those particular matches, uh, you know, there was absolutely nil back play. So I don't, I, I, I'm not surprised that they're least, but I'm, in that amount of rugby, I am surprised. And it's, it's poor, actually. It's very, very poor. But are they keeping their powder dry? Are they just holding back? And they might play an expansive game against us because what are we expecting at the moment? Ten man rugby, hard nosed, hard hitting, aggressive defensive rugby at the moment. Uh, maybe they might come up uh, with a surprise. Uh, who will know about that? So uh, yeah, uh, it's an interesting stat that one. Very very interesting stat. Uh, we've got a multi coming up again today. It wasn't so flash yesterday. Do a good one. There's no doubt about that. Let's hope today's one is special. Sport in New Zealand. <laughs> Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. you got to know when to hold them. Know when to fold them. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Yeah, no good yesterday. I apologise for that. The Rams did beat the Chicago Bears at buck twenty-four. I think that was pretty predictable. But the Seattle Storm who are chock full of very, very good women's basketball players, got belted by the LA Sparks at $1.36. So I did not see that coming. Something like 23-point margin. It was huge. And the Yankees and the Mets had a to-and-fro sort of a game in the Battle of the Subway. But in the end, the Mets, uh, through Lidnor, who hit three home runs in one game, three home runs in one game, thrilled his uh, home fans uh, with a late one, uh, and they won. Uh, the Mets over the Yankees, so gone. That was absolutely gone. Today, I'm going to trust baseball again. Tuesday is a little bit low in terms of content, uh, but the Astros are a quality side, and I think they'll win the Battle of Texas. They'll beat the Texas Rangers $1.51 there, and the Red Sox, I think, will beat the Mariners at a buck eighty, bit of value there. And uh, tomorrow morning, early hour time, uh, Juventus are playing Malmo, uh, and I think the Juventus will win at $1.40. So combined... That'll return $3.80. $3.80. couple of texts have just come in. How about this for an upset, Smithy? Brian from Fokatani, our mate Wayne Mudgeway's horse, Miss Bailey, winning the Wellington Cup at 120 bucks. 
has to be a massive upset. There's absolutely no doubt about that, Brian. He's still got the number plates to prove it. Uh, hi, Smithy. There has been a lot of talk lately about rugby players who weren't naturally talented but were workhorses and did the hard yards. Would you agree that Chats would have been that in that bracket and was the reason that Richard Hadley or Paddles took so many wickets at the other end? Certainly, Dean, uh, that was a contributing factor. Absolutely no doubt about it. Um, because what you want, um, and there's a lot talked about in terms of bowling in tandem, what you want is for the brakes to stay on whilst you're trying to strike at the other end. Um, and, and that's what Richard Hadley did dine out on, the fact that he was able to, to know that Rich, uh, Ewan Chatfield would probably go for one, two runs and over at the other end. Very seldom he'd go for more. And then, uh, you know, the captain and uh, Richard Hadley could formulate a plan about all-out attack. And so uh, the opposition didn't tend to get away on you at the other end. So that was uh, always a good reason, always good. And, and of course, Ewan Chatfield bowled line and length, didn't get hit around, so the ball was preserved. So there's a lot of good reasons why they worked in tandem so well together. So, yeah, good thinking there, Dean. Uh, and uh, Ewan Chatfield, uh, he, he wasn't um, the true athlete in that regard, but became one. He got the absolute best out of himself. Great example. Absolute great example. Going back a bit, but still current in my mind. 10 o'clock here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, after a month-long hiatus due to the COVID-19 lockdown, or shall we say the Delta lockdown, according to Trudy, uh, the Bunnings NPC makes its return this weekend with some fascinating matches. And just in case you've forgotten them, Two rounds have been played and top of the Premiership Division with the two bonus point wins, uh, Waikato. And we're joined now by their co-captain in First 5-8, Fletcher Smith. Good morning to you, Fletcher. Uh, it'd be great to get back into work, wouldn't it, with the prospect of a game coming up this weekend? Yeah, good morning. Thank you very much for having me on. Um, yeah, it is pretty exciting. Um, obviously, the boys had a bit of time off um, over the last couple of weeks, but we've had about uh, four or five days so far um, to build up to this weekend and then the rest of the week, so we're looking forward to it. This time last year, um, it would have been a relatively new thing to, to put everything on hold in terms of life and sport, but I, I suppose you just have to cater for it these days. So what have you guys done and what have you done personally and what has Waikato done to, to get through this break? Yeah, you're right. Um, I suppose in a way, if we, if we didn't really prepare for it, then we'll be fooling ourselves, so... Um, most of the boys, to be fair, had a bit of gym gear and uh, we got a few balls uh, to be able to kick around and run around with. So uh, I think, to be fair, majority of, of the boys live with someone else on the team, so it made it a lot easier being able to train with someone. Um, but our trainers uh, and coaches were really proactive around the whole situation. So coming back into the environment, um, I felt like we weren't actually away for too long. So obviously uh, one of the biggest challenges is you can't have a contact training and um, you, know, you know, you don't re- basically don't see each other much apart from the odd Zoom, I guess, and and the, the odd group, one of those. But so, uh, what's it like being back into work, and and how quickly do you think has the side been able to get back to that stage training-wise that they were at when it was stopped? Um, yeah, it definitely took a few days. Um, obviously, like you said, to be able to chuck the ball around and actually practice your skills in the team environment, the team training um, was obviously limited. So. It took us a few days to get back into it, but we took it a little bit slow the last couple of weeks just with a bit of testing, uh, just to see where the boys are at and then slowly get back into, into contact and skills. Um, but come this week, uh, the boys are ready to go and um, hopefully we can deliver a good performance. 
what uh, you have got to dwell on, even though it was quite some time ago, was a remarkable comeback victory against Wellington. I mean, <coughs> remarkable. Um, what did, what did you, you take that from that in terms of self-belief? Because, you know, with the NPC squads these days, of course, there's a, a multitude of younger players, uh, you know, rookies, etc., coming into the group. That must have been huge for the team. Yeah, for sure. It was definitely um, one of the most bizarre games I've been a part of, I suppose, at half-time the game was almost done. So uh, for us to be able to come out and, and perform in that second half was, was really pleasing. Uh, I suppose a little bit disappointed with that first half, and obviously against good teams like that, you can't give them a good lead. But um, the thing that was most positive, I think, was where we were able to stick into the game uh, in the second half. And I think we, we won a few moments in that second half, where in the first half we didn't. Um, and that really made the difference, just being able to build a bit of momentum and get on top of Wellington um, in the end. Well, you've got Canterbury at home uh, this Friday night, which is uh, great. Of course, the Auckland-based teams or anything around very close to Auckland <coughs> cannot play at this stage. So you can, you can play against Canterbury. Uh, it just appears from the outside there might be a bit of, a few cracks in, in the Canterbury lineup this time. They've been exposed um, on a couple of occasions already, um, but but they are Canterbury, so what are you catering for there? Yeah, I think that that's the key message. Just like you said, them, they are Canterbury. Um, they've always been a bit of a powerhouse, especially around the minor 10. And uh, the thing about the lockdown is, I, th- I think Canterbury, and uh, we actually had a few injuries as well after those first couple of games, but uh, the lockdown gave a bit of time for those boys to recover and uh, actually become fit again, again and be um, available for some selection. So... I'm sure Canterbury will put out a really good team. Um, like you said before, Canterbury are a pretty damn good team. So uh, we're preparing as though we're playing against a very good team, which we will be. Um, but it's just going to come down to those little moments, especially against good teams. Ross Filippo is uh, head coach this year for the Mulu. Um, people that know Ross Filippo as a player knew that uh, he was uh, an 80-minute guy. A very hard man, well, not a giant in terms of uh, tight forwards, but in, in terms of commitment, massive heart. What kind of coach is he? Yeah, Ross has actually been outstanding, outstanding to work with. Um, he's been in the environment for a couple of years now. Um, the thing that's probably uh, stands out the most about uh, Ross is that he's not too long out of the game, um, so he understands kind of what the boys do and don't like um, around structure of the week, uh, training sessions and things like that. So he accommodates to the team really well, um, has a good coaching staff around them, and all the boys respect him. So um, it's been really cool working with Floss. He's a, he's a great guy off the field, and I think uh, being able to build relationships as a head coach uh, with the players outside of rugby goes a long way to you know having that trust within, within rugby. In those early rounds, the, the All Black structure actually released a few players back to their provincial sides. You had the benefit of uh, Quinta Pia back for a couple of games. Uh, gee, he's come on well, hasn't he? What was, what was it like uh, having him back in the, the squad? Uh, and, and his development, uh, his rise has been very, very quick. Yeah, he's a phenomenal player. Um, yeah, I've been lucky enough to, to know him since 2018, so really good mates. Um, always enjoyed playing with him, and I think... Uh, when he came back into the team against Harbour, the boys you know, got a bit of an energy boost just from knowing that he was in the team. Um, he's one of those players where you can give him the ball and he can do something pretty special for you. I know especially, uh, a couple of times last year when um, I'd run myself into trouble, I'd able to offload to Quinn and then always, he would always get us game line or, or a bit of go for it. So 
He's one of those players you always love to have in your team, but you don't really like playing against them. What drives Fletcher Smith? What, what drives you in terms of staying on and playing rugby at you know, the highest level that you can? What, what, what is the driving force behind you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think my, one of the main parts is I just love to compete. So, um, every situation that I'm in, I, I try or want to win, um, especially in, in a team environment. It's something special to be able to, uh, this year, lucky enough to be co-captain uh, with Aidan, just to be able to try, to try and bring a group together and strive for one goal at the end of the season. So that's been a really enjoyable challenge um, so far, obviously, getting back into the season this week. But, um, yeah, it's, it's always like competing um, at, the, at the top level. And um, rugby's always been something I, I was always keen to do. And I'm lucky enough to be in the position to, to be doing it this year. So just about competing and making most of the opportunity, I think. You played for the Shining Arcs in Tokyo uh, earlier this year. Uh, you're heading back uh, next year. What did you make of that Japanese experience? Yeah, at this stage, I'm not too sure what I'll be up to next year. Uh, I'm just planning on playing out a few more games and hopefully something pops up, but um, just just have to wait and see. But um, that, that Japanese experience was awesome. Um, COVID, I suppose, limited the experience outside of footy to be able to travel around Japan and get a bit of the tourist experience, but um, inside the footy, it was awesome to learn a bit of the language, to get along with a bit of the culture around how they operate. Um, and the Japanese just love footy over there, so I suppose a, a little thing was when I, when I turned up there, um, a few of the fans just have gifts for you on the birthday. They give you birthday presents for parting gifts, so it's just something completely uh, different to what you experience in New Zealand, and it was a bit of a uh, fresh breath there. Would you think Japanese rugby is, is stalled a wee bit? Uh, it wasn't that long ago, you know, where it was it's deemed they had a team in Super Rugby. It was deemed that they were going to be a, a real burgeoning force um, in, in world rugby. Did you sense that that was still it was still very much a growing sport, and and they're hugely keen on it still, or do you think it might have dwindled a wee bit? Um, for the short amount of time I was over there, um, I think it's still growing. Um, there's still definitely a lot of international players that want to go over there and, and help grow the game. I know we had a couple of older players in our team, uh, Greg Laidlaw, uh, guys that have experienced you know, 80, 100, 100-odd test matches for their game and want to contribute to the game over there. And most teams um, have a couple of players like that uh, within their team. I think the, the big thing for them at the moment is being able to have those players come and help develop the Japanese players. Uh, to be able to build a, a really good competition and then ultimately build a really good Japanese side for them as well. So I still think it's growing um, over there and definitely the players that are going over there at the moment is definitely going to help that too. Talking to Fletcher Smith, folks, uh, co-captain of the mighty Waikato rugby team in the NPC, which is uh, about to kick off again, thank God, uh, this weekend. Co-captains is an interesting one for me because uh, quite often captains or people don't agree who has the in your situation who has the overall say there must be one in terms of say kicking for goal kicking for the corner who has overall say or, or do you just tend to agree all the time yeah it's an interesting one we had we had a bit of a joke about it before the season and uh aiden we had a penalty if aiden would probably want to take the scrum and then i'd probably want to take the shot at goal so uh to be fair we haven't had too many situations uh where we've disagreed on things and Aiden's a pretty smart footballer um, and has a pretty good understanding about momentum in the game and situations in the game. So we kind of just look at, at each other. One of us will say something and the other one just goes, yep, let's do it. So 
we've got a pretty good relationship off the field, which definitely helps on the field. But to be fair, we haven't had too many situations where we, we disagree on things at the moment. And at the end of the day, Fletcher, he is a prop. Let's be fair. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Taking a bit of, <laughs> bit of a grain of salt with what he says. <laughs> hey, look, one of the things you did miss out on, of course, I think, was a Ramfurly Shield Challenge. You'd have been void for that. That's still uh, one of the, the big goals to get it back there to that beautiful stadium you've got. Yeah, it was a little bit unlucky around the time. We had, we had Taranaki and then uh, the Bay after that. So um, I think that hopefully we'll get chucked on to the end of the season. Still got a bit of a crack with that. I know they've got uh, a couple of tough challenges before that, with Tasman being one, I believe. So, yeah, it's definitely one of those uh, things you definitely want to have a crack at. I know guys on the team um been lucky enough to have two or three cracks, but then there's guys on the team that have never even seen it. So... Definitely a cool experience and awesome part of New Zealand rugby and hopefully we get the opportunity uh, later in the year to have a bit of a nudge at it. Hey Fletcher, great chatting to you. Thanks very much for your insights on uh, where you're at uh, in your pre-preparation, your re-pre-preparation actually for this game against Canterbury. Wish you all the best. Hope it goes well on Friday night. Thank you very much. Now. Thank you for your time. Yeah, cheers. That's Fletcher Smith, folks. Uh, affable young bloke. Um, uh, the number 10, uh, and of course, and co-captain for... Waikato with a little bit of uh, Japanese experience under him and he's in a long production line, John, of uh, quality first five eights that we've got uh, around the country and uh, he, of course, has got, um, you know, uh, he's got uh, experience behind him but as he said, you know, the future is, is and, and it's his full-time job, the future is sort of uh, up in the air a wee bit and he'd be in the majority there, you would think. Yeah, interesting to hear, isn't it? Um that he's 26 years old, uh, you know, he's played for the Hurricanes before, played for the Highlanders, hasn't quite hit the heights at Super Rugby level, but in terms of NPC, he's been one of the better 10s going around in the last few years, and I guess when he sees Marty Banks getting picked up by the Highlanders, he might have thought he'd get a gig down there again, mm. potentially. Um, you know, uh, we've also uh, talked to the Manawatu first five as well. Um, his name's just escaping me, but he's... Going overseas as well uh, to Japan, one test all back, Brett Cameron. Um, so, you know, mm. we've got these middle 20s, first fives kind of floating around who are well experienced, but just tough to get a gig, Smithy, as a first five it in is. that age bracket. It is. Uh, you know, looking forward, we've got uh, two or three world class ones at our disposal. So, I mean, when you're playing at that level, I think you're, you're still, you know, when you're playing first class cricket, your goal is still, it has to be in terms of your motivation and your mindset to go higher. It, it just has to, if you just sit there at a comfortable level and think, this is it for me. I can understand it with older players who have given it the top and have come back to that level to give a bit back and know they're not going to go any further forward. Uh, they're just passing on and, and, and quietly just sort of disappearing out of the scene. But when you're still that age and you've got that ability and you've been untested and you've still got that hunger, day-to-day um, -day prospect must be... Just a little bit frustrating. Just a little bit frustrating. So, yeah, there's another example of it. Fletcher Smith from Waikato. Uh, panel next, um, and uh, this morning we've got Hugh Bainan and Lavina Good. And I'm looking forward to speaking to Lavina, particularly, particularly about the rise of women's sport. It is, and she's been around it for a long time. The women are doing so well, and the profile is just increasing on a daily basis. Stumps to behind the mic. You're in safe hands. It's mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Talk, talk, talk to me, yeah.
Lavina Good joins us this morning on debut, I'm pleased to say, and Hugh Bainan is uh, back for yet another crack on the panel. Always enjoy uh, Hugh's input as well. Lavina, if I could start with you, welcome along. Thank you very much. Um, Emma Radakanu is just another example of uh, women's sport being to the fore lately. What a great story that is. Lavina. Hey, yeah, no, sorry, yeah, great story. I love the fact it's just 18 years of age. Do you know, I was actually just thinking over the past few weeks, just years ago, it was so predictable who was going to win women's tennis and the Serena sisters mm. dominated it for so long. It became bloody boring. It started to do my head in. And then you come across a couple of young teenagers and I know lots of people have been talking about Naomi Osaka and her well-being and the pressure on her. The thing is, there's no pressure on these kids whatsoever. They turned up to play tennis. That's what they wanted to do. And I thought it was spectacular. I enjoyed every moment of it, and I loved their attitude towards the sport. I know a few media commentators have come out and said, hey, let's not put them on a pedestal just yet. Well, I totally disagree with that. I say we put them on a pedestal. They're champions for both of them. And it's great to see a changing of the guard when it comes to women's tennis. So let's celebrate them. Let's um, make them known and let the people know that they're, they're world champions. And... And it's great to see it just 18 years of age. It's incredible, an incredible feat, and they deserve to be recognised for it. That's a good point you make, actually, Lavina. We all, we all work in the media, and sometimes we're the villains of the piece. But uh, Hugh Bainan, it's very hard not to have them um, on a pedestal, isn't it? I mean, it's just the way of the world. You do well, you're up high. You do poor, uh, you, you come to the ground crashing it. It's a bit of a brutal way to way to go about things, but this girl's uh, gonna be on a high. She seems pretty grounded at the moment, but and I have it to, uh, um, I put it, emphasis on the word but. We just don't know how she'll react to it over over a period of time. Yeah, you're right, and she's phenomenal, isn't she? She's, and the thing to remember is she joins a long list of you know, teenage phenoms in women's tennis. You know, back to Martina Navratilova, Martina Hingis, Mar- Maria Sharapova, all one. Uh, in their teens, their first Grand Slams, uh, countless others as well. The only thing that worries me is if she, if there is a place where you're going to get on, put on a pedestal too much and put too much pressure on by the press, it is the UK. Um, and that's where Emirata Kanu hails from. So um, there is that slight worry, but for, for now she seems super grounded. Like she says, there's no pre- she doesn't put any pressure on herself. She's just playing tennis for fun. And gee, she's fun to watch play tennis as well. So good on her. On the other end of the scale, of course, we saw uh, the, the rise of her. We saw the fall, temporarily, I would imagine, of, of uh, Novak Djokovic. But is it temporary? Uh, he looked very upset and distraught at times, Hugh, yesterday. That was, yeah. I wouldn't say we've seen the fall. You know, to make four Grand Slam finals in one year is phenomenal. To win three of them is, you know, almost unheard of. Um, he looked tired. Uh, you know, he looked completely fatigued, both mentally and physically. He looked like a man who had put a lot of pressure on himself. You know, for, for him to have another chance at a calendar Grand Slam is slim to none, the chances. So that would have been going through his head as well. And, and like he said in his post-game speech, which I thought he dealt with brilliantly, he felt relieved that it was over and he didn't have to stress about it anymore. He is the best player of all time. There is no doubt about he is the best player of all time. I think I still personally think Roger Federer is the greatest tennis player of all time. I think that's two separate arguments in terms of what Roger's done for the game, the style of which he played, uh, how he's been an ambassador for the sport, how he changed the sport. 
but I don't think there's a debate that Novak Djokovic is the best player of all time. I can see him eclipsing the, the 20 grand slams he's already won, uh, leaving Roger and Rafa in his dust in terms of accolades. And down mm. the phone line, Hugh, I can see Lavina Good absolutely agreeing with you, the greatest <laughs> player of all time, Lavina. Nah, I was glad he lost. Uh, he took my head in in Tokyo, actually, when he had a little hissy fit because he didn't win the gold medal. And it was like, ah, oh, now that I haven't made it through to the final, I don't think I'll even help my doubles partner out at all. So it was a very selfish move, I thought, by Djokovic. And at 34 years of age, you've got this kid from Russia at 25 years of age, Medvedev, has come out and shown the tennis world just what you can do to teach someone a lesson or two. It was there for the taking for Djokovic. He should have won that match, and he didn't. And after all the years of experience of in your eyes, you being the greatest or the best player of all time, you'd the think best, that he would have turned the best, up on not the plate. Well, if, if you were <laughs> that's pretty rough. Time, that's pretty he rough. Should have broken saying, the record. Oh, he pretty he pretty much should have broken the record, which he didn't. So, I mean, he wasn't in the right mental space for that one. Yeah, he looked fatigued. Everyone else was playing tennis all week. It wasn't just Djokovic that had to play tennis as well. I had no issue with him losing, and I was really proud of. Um, Medvedev for beating him again, just like what he did overseas at the Olympics, and and proven that he was a better player than the best of all time on that particular day. So yeah, I was I was. Oh, don't get me wrong. Don't get one. me wrong. I, I very I was very happy Medvedev won. He's a phenomenal young player, but let's not play pile on Djokovic for only winning three out of four Grand Slams. God, what a failure. <laughs> yeah, I love, love I'm, I'm, I'm wearing a t-shirt that I'm wearing a t-shirt that says Roger Federer right now as being the best and the greatest. So there you go. He goes straight to the top for me. <laughs> right, Lavina. Speaking of going to the top, what about that Storm? What about those that Melbourne Storm franchise again? They're incredible. Absolutely incredible. I just don't understand how they can lose so many um, players that have such an impact on their club and their team and that just that they keep pouring out new, new players. I mean, we've all talked about with Cameron Smith leaving um, and also Billy Slater. It just goes on and on. And yet they replace them with phenomenal players, including Pappenhausen, who... You know, I don't even follow the Melbourne Storm, Smithy, but to sit back on Friday night and to check out the rugby league and to watch the Melbourne Storm play like that was so impressive for me. I felt privileged to be able to watch a kid like Pappenhausen to come out and have so much pace and decimate the opposition. It's really hard to see a side that can beat the Melbourne Storm at the moment. At the start of the year, I did tip the Panthers. I thought they were the team to do it because culturally they've been very similar in terms of the build-up over the past half a decade, both Ivan... Ivan Cleary um, has also been big on getting those younger players through and hanging on to them at the Panthers. So culturally, they've had that same development and recruitment, very similar to the Melbourne Storm. But after watching what happened on Friday night, you'd be hard-pressed to find a team that could beat them in the NRL at the moment. But a lot changes in the game of rugby league. A lot changes very, very quickly. And as we know, the mighty Parramatta Eels beat them a couple of weeks ago, and they're still in the game. So you just never know. But at this stage, if you had some money on the Melbourne Storm to take out the grand final, you might be sitting pretty on it at the moment. I think you're sitting pretty if you're on the mighty slippery eels. <laughs> I'm an eels fan from a long way back, mate. They have been breaking my heart decade after decade after decade. So I know what that feels like. <laughs> I absolutely know what that feels like. And uh, I know that they'll probably do it again, which wouldn't surprise me. But they had a match against the Knights and... I was actually at the grand final um, 20 years ago when the Knights beat the Parramatta Eels when the Eels were meant to win. So the same thing was happening at the weekend. The Eels were meant to win, but it, 
you know, it got a bit nerve-wracking for a while, but at the moment, the side that, you know, seems to turn out. Um, and, you know, you just I just think with the Melbourne Storm, it's just because of recruitment and keeping players and having a good team culture. And you can't, it's like with athletes, they say you can't buy a heart, you can't train a heart, right? So that you need to have the heart, you can't train it. It's the same as club culture. You can't buy club culture, you can't buy hearts in a side. And the Warriors need to take a good old look at what these sides are doing overseas where they're playing for their clubs, not just playing for their for their pay packet to try and develop a culture that can buy them a premiership in five years' time. Avina, outstanding. Please stay uh, on the line because we've got to go to the news. You, uh, you as well. I'm going to come back and ask you a couple of rugby matters, uh, particularly about the rise and rise of Quade Cooper. Where's this come from, Hugh? Uh, but in the meantime, we're going to uh, go quickly to Trudy and the news. Lavina Good and Hugh Bainan with us this morning. And Hugh will uh, come to you now, if I could, please. The rise and rise of Quade Cooper. Uh, he couldn't get citizenship uh, just before kickoff on Saturday night. Now they want to give it to him with gold attached to it. Yeah, what a game. What a, what a comeback. Well, you know, I never fully understood the anti-Quade Cooper sentiment. You know, I, he had that, that incident, didn't he, with Richie McCaw, which was a bit of a grub moment in that game against the All Blacks a few years ago. Um, he's also had some just genuinely magic moments against the All Blacks and in his, and in his pretty illustrious test career as well. So I never fully understood the, the hate against him, apart from him being a good player from a team we don't like. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm happy to see him back. I'm happy to see that he's stuck with it after all this talk about rugby league over the years and, and where he might go and if he's going to call it a day and then not making the, the Reds team anymore and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really happy to see him back and playing some good footy because, man, he's fun to watch. I mean, I know, I know Saturday night was more a, uh, a masterclass with the boot, um, but when he's on his go, he's really fun to watch. Hugh Bainham, would you make mass changes if you're Ian Foster this weekend for the second game against... The Pumas? It's really not to come across as, you know, an arrogant All Black fan or anything like that. Does it matter? We went down to, they went down to 14 <laughs> men and still, beat, and still scored tries against Australia. You, I feel like you could throw anyone out there in a black jersey and they're going to win. You know, honestly, that's how it comes across. And I know this isn't the rhetoric that the All Blacks themselves and their camp would ever go near saying. Um, but that's the feeling I have right now. I'm sitting down to watch a game of rugby and I know who's going to win. Um, and it's going to be the All Blacks. And then even Australia then go and knock off the world champ. So what's it going to be like when we get to eventually play the Springboks? Um, the coaching staff might make mass changes. Maybe it's a good time to blood a few, few fresh legs. Who knows? I don't think it's going to affect the result whatsoever. Lavina, are you a Quade Cooper fan? I, I kind of sense you might be. Yeah, I have, I have a really nice story about Quade Cooper. Um, when he was touring New Zealand in 2015 with the Wallabies, I covered um, went over to Palmerston North and, and covered one of the training sessions. And it was all wrapped up and everyone took off and there was a couple of kids still looking for autographs. And, you know, the All Blacks were kind of wrapped up in their, their busy um, busy lives and then they took him to the sheds and so had the Wallabies. But Quade Cooper came out and talked to um, a family friend and while he was there, a couple of the kids walked up and he signed the autograph for them and got a couple of photos. And the next thing you know, he's taking them out on the pitch and teaching them how to kick and, and technically showing how to, how to kick. So he spent about 30 or 40 minutes with these kids. And I'm like, great story. This is going to be a great story. And had a chat to my camera operator and hoped to film it and get an interview and stuff. And, and Quake Cooper basically said, I really don't feel like doing a story on this. It's just about 
about these kids, getting them into rugby and, and letting them know that, you know, it's a great sport and you, you can interview the kids but don't focus on me at all. And I thought that said, mm. said a lot about him and it made me think what Hugh just said then. What, what is this big love-hate relationship that we have with Craig Cooper? And it's not just, I don't think it's just attacking um, the golden man, Richie McCaw. It wasn't just that. It's the fact that he, he was a Kiwi that left at 13 and then wanted to be an Australian. That's really hard for, for Kiwis to swallow. Um, I was absolutely shocked when they named him. I mean, he's been in the wilderness for four years. He hadn't played since 2017. I always rated him as a player, and I know him and Chica had a lot of issues. They did not like each other at all, and they do not like each other at all. But I thought it was a really bad move from the Wallabies to put him in, in that position in the number 10 to try and take on the world champs. But in the end, it did well. And, I mean, he kicked, what, 23 of the 28 points. Uh, won it for Australia, did wonders for New Zealand in terms of the championship. Now we go five points ahead. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually a Quade Cooper fan, um, but I think his days are numbered because rugby, as we all know, is becoming a young person's game. You've got to be fit, you've got to be strong. And if he is going to hang around, I think it will only be for 2021. I don't think we'll see him next year. Yeah, one of the stories coming out of uh, the UK uh, from uh, World Rugby is that they're looking at the possibility of a World Rugby Cup every two years. Uh, what's your take on that? Can the game sustain one every two years? Uh, I mean, it's a very costly thing to, uh, to, to stage for a start, isn't it? It is. I don't like it, Smithy. I don't like it. You know, I grew up, you know, in Wales uh, with a Welsh father, loving Welsh rugby, and moved over to New Zealand as a teenager. And the one thing that always got me was with the Tri-Nations as it was with the Rugby Championship. I, it doesn't feel as special to me as the Six Nations does because the Six Nations is you just play that team once a year, you know, and it's that specialness and, and like those old tours against the All Blacks or against England from the other side of the world or Wales or whatever, what was so special was that you didn't see them that often. And so when they came about, they meant something, you know, and that's why a Lions tour still has the appeal that it does because we don't get to see it for every four years or 12 years when they actually come to our country and that's what makes it so special and it's the same with the rugby world cup every four years and then so those three years in between the narrative is building towards that rugby world cup every two years is it going i don't think it's going to be a special i just don't think it would be and lavina could you get up uh get up and excited for it if you knew it was two years away i mean the players some of the players would because nah, four years is quite a long cycle, isn't it? It's a long cycle you could miss. Yeah. I, the thing that gets me, Smithy and Hugh, is that I think it's a, a monetary decision. I think it's about um, rugby, like all other sports, has been hit hard by COVID, where you haven't been able to have the bums on seats and competitions have been affected. We even saw with the Olympic Games that it was about television coverage and about broadcasters trying to make money out of distributing it to the world because that's the way the world goes around But for me, the four-year cycle has worked out tremendously well. Um, and it also gives us an opportunity to breed new players and get new players coming in. So it's not just the same key players that are being superstars over a period of time. Um, we've seen how quickly things have changed for um, South Africa from winning in 2019 in regards to that performance that they put up against the Wallabies just recently. So I wouldn't really like a two-year cycle, but I understand why people would be considering it. And I guarantee because it comes down to money. It's about making more money, more television rights to get it out there. It's not about, it's not about appeasing the rugby public. I think if you vox popped or interviewed the rugby public out there at the moment, most of them would tell you that they'd be pretty pleased with a four-year cycle. Lavina Good, outstanding. Thank you very much for your time this morning and your thoughts. Hugh Bain on as always. Uh, a pleasure having you as part of the panel. Interesting, uh, folks. Yeah, 8833 is our 
a text number. There's a, a, a subject you might want to come in on. Is Djokovic the best of all time? The best player of all time in your mind? How quickly can we forget some players? I mean, he's going after uh, the record or to equal the record of the Rocket, Rod Laver, the Rockhampton Rocket, Rod Laver, who was in the crowd yesterday. And, of course, he failed at the hurdle. failed quite miserably yesterday. So um, does Laver stay as the greatest of all time? Tennis fans, get in on that. Uh, even general public who uh, just have tennis as a passing interest. Is it possible uh, that Djokovic is the best player of all time? Or is he not? 88-33 is the number. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, 10.46 here on SENZ. A couple of texts to have come in about the, the greatest upsets, and we've got that as part of our Mount Rushmore, around about 11.35, 11.40 uh, later this morning. Uh, and uh, that is the subject, the, the four greatest upsets that we regard are in sport. And there's a couple of come in uh, which I completely and utterly forgot about, but I shouldn't have. Uh, really good ones too from Chase Waiuku has uh, said, surely Oracle coming back from 8-1 down to beat New Zealand. At that point, I think going into the competition, I'm not sure it would have been a massive upset for Oracle to beat uh, Team New Zealand, but certainly 8-1 down. That is one hell of a comeback. Maybe comebacks of all time as opposed to upsets of all time. Certainly, um, it's, it's in the conversation, Chase, so appreciate that. Uh, and here, here's another one from uh, maybe a football fan. Uh, certainly Leicester City winning the Premier League. Uh, is that part of your Mount Rushmore today? Won't say it is, won't say it isn't. Um, John Day's got a smile on his face, but uh, certainly that, at the time, uh, it was regarded as one of the greatest sporting upsets, certainly or in football history. Anyway, John, um, so yeah. whether you've thought, I'm not going to give too much away because uh, I've got a couple in there that are debatable. Well, there's a couple of certainties, but a couple of debatable ones. But yeah, that's an interesting one, Leicester City. Uh, we'll talk more about that um, after uh, the uh, 11.30 news this morning. Uh, interesting, yeah, World Cup every two years. Not sure about it. Not sure about it. I, I can see that uh, they can find possibly find a window for that, but uh, Billy Beaumont, uh, who's the big boss of World Rugby, saying they're struggling to think of a possible window for the 12s in reply, uh, which wouldn't please uh, Steve Chew and Sir Steve Hansen, I would imagine. No, no, and yeah, that's always going to be a, a big judder bump for that competition is World Rugby. They like to control everything, Smithy. They don't have the control of the Six Nations or the Rugby Championship, uh, but they do have control of the international window, and they'd like to keep that for themselves. I'd imagine don't want little uh, competitions like this, 12s coming in and stealing some of their wedge, uh, so to speak, with Bill Beaumont. So, uh, I, And that's why they do want two World Cup, uh, World Cup every two years. Levine is exactly right on the panel. All about the money, you, you know. Uh, I think it would ruin it, Smithy. Uh, the prestige, I like it every four years, but football want it every year. I mean, that's how desperate desperate FIFA are for more cash. They love the cash, don't they? And they reckon a World Cup of football every single year. But it, it surely, if you have a World Cup every one or two years, it does diminish the importance of it, and it just becomes another World Cup. It's so massive, Smithy. Is the Rugby World Cup the second, or oh, it's the third biggest event on the planet, isn't it, behind the Olympics and uh, the Football World Cup. So it's a pretty special thing, and I think having every four years um, makes it special. Yeah, look, uh, we've been brought up, uh, well, I have anyway, on four-year cycles for a lot of our major events. Four-year cycle for the Olympics, four-year cycle for the Rugby World Cup, the Football World Cup, 
Commonwealth Games is every four years. Those, those sorts of milestone events that affect New Zealand in particular, uh, we're sort of used to digesting them every four years. But times change. The demands change. I mean, the world is changing on a, a more than regular basis. Um, and I'm not just talking about pandemics either. I'm just talking about your appetite for things, the de- desire to do things. Uh, you know, I, I'm a firm believer. I mean, I love the Ryder Cup. I'd love to see the Ryder Cup every year. I mean, and that's coming up in, in about uh, eight days' time. That is one of the great sporting events. But that's just me being a golf fan. It wouldn't, uh, you know, it's probably 90% of the New Zealand population wouldn't even know it's on. But those dedicated few that absolutely love it would love to see it every week almost. It's such a, a great spectacle. Um, and there's another text coming in here. Surely the 99 and 07 World Cup disgraces were an upset. <laughs> Passionate about that. And maybe Japan beating the Springboks uh, may or may not be in the reckoning uh, around about 11.35 this morning. Thanks very much. Keep those uh, texts coming in. Uh, Djokovic the best of all time. Federer better. Laver better. Nadal better. Who's the best of all time uh, in your mind, tennis player? Is it even the male? Is it Navratilova? Maybe Martina might come into the equation if we're thinking laterally, maybe men's and women's. But certainly Djokovic, the fall of Djokovic yesterday, um, <coughs> you won't be on saying he thinks it's temporary. But now they know that he's fallible. Uh, these young players, they are as hungry as heck. Uh, the little hounds barking away at the heels. So um, I would imagine... Uh, Djokovic uh, has still got a lot to play for and a lot of great tennis within him. But he saw we saw a very vulnerable side of him yesterday, particularly emotionally as well. 10.51 here on SENZ. You're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Love Racing.NZ update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Yes, courtesy of loveracing.nz comes uh, Louis Herman Watt for us today. Louis, I'm just, uh, I don't want to get you down in the dumps, brother, but I'm just looking at the Hawks Bay uh, forecast for the next five days. Today, showers. Tomorrow being Wednesday, showers. Thursday, uh, the showers turn to rain, and they stay as rain on Friday, and then they're back to showers on Saturday. Uh, that doesn't suggest a very firm track to me, and you've got some news on the Tarzino anyway. Yeah, that's interesting, Smithy. Um, look, I think I'm kind of vaguely expecting a slow 7-8. If it's heavy, I'll be pretty disappointed, but the picture you're painting there isn't a good one. We know Hastings is an excellent track and drains really well, so I guess we'll just have to see. Um, Tavi Max out, mate. So these conditions would just be so far up Tavi Max Alley, it's kind of a bit sad to think. So we saw his strange performance in the Foxbridge, and Alan Sharrick, uh reports saying Alan Sharrick, he's, he's a bit weary of Tavi Mac, and he doesn't think he's fully 100%. So he's not going. So what does that mean? Well, Avon Taj can run on a slow. A heavy would not be ideal. I don't know if she's ever won on a heavy before, but she can go on a slow. It's not her best. Cool sign Mav, it's not a massive knock if it's a seven or an eight. But again, I don't know if there's too much heavy form. Uh, Catalyst, the best he's won on is a five. Dragon Leap, very light on data. Predefer, um, Predefer, not too sure. Supreme Heights, maybe a little bit better. And I think with that, you see a picture where you can really start to narrow down what you're betting. I think, for me, at this stage, kind of trying to predict the weather, Avantage is still the one. But it's going to be a very interesting race for me. 
Okay, uh, just very quickly, in 20 seconds, you can tell us, very elegant Victorian horse of the year. Fully justified? Yeah, 100%. Well, how, how could she not be? She won the Melbourne Cup in supreme fashion, as well as other, another big race, another group one down there, I'm pretty sure. And she flashed home in a Melbourne Cup. And I think, um, look, if they wanted to go down that route, she'd be, route, again, she'd be great. But the Cox Plate beckons for very elegant. Okay, very good. Thank you very much, as usual, uh, Louis Herman. What? Let's go across the... Brendan Popperwell now uh, on behalf of the TAB and BP. I'm not sure if you're coming to Hastings at the weekend, but if you are to host the racing, uh, bring a raincoat. Yeah, some flippers. I know that the, uh, the farmers are looking for it. This is Mornings with Ian Smith. Yankees beat Australia. Good weight! They come right through. White's over the top looking for the turnover, looking for the penalty. He gets the result. Quay Cooper for the win. It's on its way. It's on its way. It's good. Quay Cooper is the man. Wow, he, he's changed. Quay Cooper's changed as... Uh, perspective in New Zealand has gone from uh, someone we used to boo to someone we are actually celebrating at the moment on the back of uh, that wonderful kicking performance at the weekend. Uh, Morgan Turanui, a former Wallaby, of course, stand sport commentator. Um, you know, you haven't tasted a lot of success this year, Morgan, and it looked uh, with the 80 minutes up as if it might have been uh, denied you again, but all of a sudden Quade Cooper comes to the fore and uh, all of a sudden he also gets citizenship, it seems. Well, it's amazing what a win does. Because you know, like that in sport, it's the way the world goes. These uh, were strange bedfellows with uh, even all black supporters cheering on the Wallabies at the moment. But you know, it was a great moment for a, a good mate of mine, a guy I played some footy with, and a lot of the commentary around it, right around the world, has been just seeing how much he's matured into a, into a, you know, a more humble and, and considered human being. And it's funny, it was a really understated Quade Cooper performance, and it was a great opportunity for him to, to finish it off like that. I think everyone is in sport in the, in the game of rugby at the moment is. He's happy for Quade Cooper. Um, I don't know why he, he didn't just do the, the traditional thing for a, a New Zealand-born man going to Australia, just marry a young Aussie girl. My father did it. It's an easy way to get citizenship, I would have thought. <laughs> Very good. Uh, and a good, uh, good choice, too. There's some lovely lovely ones over there. Uh, really lovely <laughs> ones over there, Morgan. Hey, um, uh, yeah, it's interesting, actually. It was interesting for me, actually, that uh, Dave Rennie went for him because he's shown so much faith in... And Lollasia uh, throughout the season. What do you think prompted that change at that point? Yeah, I think I can see that, that Noah's form tailed off a bit. I do feel for him. I think his first eight test matches, five of them were against the All Blacks. So not many brand new number 10s have to cope with that. Uh, and I, I think it was just don't go to the world too many times. And I think if James O'Connor had have been fit, then he might have stepped in a bit earlier. He wasn't quite ready. Uh, to, to Matt Tomua and Reece Hodge, they're really not 10 and Noah probably needed a break and for that moment in time Quaid was actually a really logical choice it was obviously on the back of a meeting with Dave and him being in South East Queensland around all these quarantine and COVID issues we have around the world so it was very much about someone who was there and then you know, as the comms have been coming out of the Wallaby squad he's just been impressive within the environment so uh, in terms of the development pathways of Australian rugby it's not great that we have to go all the way back to the well but in terms of this moment in time and the proof was on the weekend that it was an inspired choice by Dave Rennie. Would you have any idea where they're at with James O'Connor at the moment? 
Yeah, he's back in full training, and last week in the selection meeting, uh, the comms are that they just said he's not quite ready. So I would think that he's probably available this week. Uh, and, and that throws up different challenges now. Quaid, you would think, earned another start. Uh, 15, still an issue with the Wallabies. Tom Banks has been solid without being inspiring. Obviously, the examination by the All Blacks, Wallabies came up short, and Tom Banks did individually. A little bit the same on the weekend with the, the aerial battle with the box. So is there a bit of a movement at 15 to accommodate them both? I'm not sure. I think you'll see O'Connor somewhere in the 23, even if it's off the bench. Uh, Quade Cooper, I won't say he's getting on, but he's certainly closer to the end and the beginning of his career. But speaking of the, the beginning or near to it, uh, you were with him uh, as a teenager. What, what was he like back then coming into the side compared to what he's like now? Yeah, look, he was just amazingly talented. Um, and, you know, like a Benji Marshall-style player for league fans and, you know, the mercurial side of a Carlos Spencer really reminded me of that. In fact, you know, the... The, the Cooper versus Foley was almost the Merton versus Spencer in Australia for a while. Um, but I think the gap between his best and his worst was always a huge thing. I, I loved playing with him as a centre, as an outside back. To play with someone like that, to see this amazingly talented kid, was great to play with on the week. It wasn't always that good doing tracking drills and that with him through the week. You could get embarrassed with his crazy footwork. But the other thing about him is he, he's a bit of a rugby nerd. He loves the game. He watches footy. Uh, he always tests himself. And what he learned too as he matured, he was always been a hard-working trainer as well. He's in great physical condition, which is why at this age at the back end, he can still perform. And on the back of all those sorts of things, he's a mature human being. We've seen it with James O'Connor. We've seen it with lots of sports, but in different sports around the world. Sometimes they make some poor choices early on. They mature. Sometimes they're humbled by their sport. And we're seeing a, a mature young man, Quade Cooper, who's a bit more at peace with himself, I think. And it's it's translated into an quality 80-minute performance on the weekend. Uh, you know, we're just talking about basically one kick a goal or one kick at goal or another narrow loss. And there's been, you know, some narrow margins involving Dave Rennie's Wallabies. But uh, what would you think it will have done for Dave Rennie's profile in Australia that win over the current world champions? Well, I think within rugby, I think Dave, I think everyone can see what Dave's trying to do, and we're. Most of us are quite objective about where we're at. When we're always comparing ourselves to the All Blacks and now the Springboks, I think a lot of us are aware of where we're at. We're just not quite there. Um, and so there was no real pressure on Dave himself or his role. I think everyone in Australia is backing him all the way to the World Cup. But I think it just releases a bit of the pressure valve. It, it, it creates a better environment in camp, a better mood in camp. Everyone has a spring in their step, nothing like a win, no matter how it comes about. And I think this Wallaby group sort of needed that talk about all the sacrifices that the footballers and sportsmen are making right around the world to play their sport. You know, this Wallaby group's been away from home since the beginning of June. It's great to get a win. Uh, it's a better week in camp. And, and it just gives a little bit of um, validation for the things Dave's been working on. And you said it, Smitty. It could easily have been a loss. The Springboks didn't goal kick well. Lucanio Arm, you think it's the easiest put-down of all time. Doesn't score a try. There's so many sliding doors moments in test mm. matches. This is a couple of good moments for the Wallabies that they needed. And now gives them an opportunity over the next three weeks to see if they can back it up. What has been encouraging, Morgan, is the form of Tate McDermott, uh, who's been a spark, an absolute spark. He's busy. Um, you know, he's aggressive. He runs around the fringes. Um, exciting. Very exciting. Yeah, it is. And these kids, you know, perfect world, they make those mistakes more coming off the bench. You know, there's a high error rate sometimes that young kids come in. Tate's becoming more and more polished. And he'll learn, you know, he's played against Aaron Smith, he'll learn 
shaking hands with Aaron Smith after a game and having a quick chat with him about footy. He learns training with Nick White. He's got great coaching staff around him. So being the positive side to being away from home and in rugby environments for long periods of time is perhaps it'll accelerate the development of a guy like Tate McDermott. And it's funny to see Tate at nine, Cooper at 10 and Karevi at 12. There's a fair few threats there that the box had to worry about defensively. We've actually found some space out wide, which the Lions and Argentina definitely didn't do. And I'm sure the All Black supporters from you guys' point of view were interested to see that there was space out wide if you're good enough to get there. What did you make of uh, the Springbok style of play in general? Well, you know what? I'm, I have huge respect for the way they play because it's effective. It wins games. It plays to their strengths. You know, kicking a lot, being comfortable without the ball... It's not only the box that do it around the world. Argentina do it a fair bit as well. Uh, and, and obviously lots of the Northern Hemisphere teams have done it for a time. They're just better at it than everyone else. They scored three tries to one. They can say, yeah, three more tries to one try, those sorts of things. But it's effective to them. It, it plays to their strengths. What are they? Great at set-piece, really physical. And guys like McKimpy and Causey in the air, Colby when he's back, there's really, they're, they're really um, relevant ways to play the game. I, I'm never going to stand here and decry the way they play the game. I do think I can't wait to see the All Blacks play the box because All Blacks is very much a a total rugby so that you can play all different styles. And I can't wait to see the way the New Zealand rugby staff and players try to unpick that impressive box way of playing. I don't think they'll change too much. I think they'll go back and go, look, be more physical, be more set-piece, maybe kick even more, just be a little bit more disciplined. We kick one of the goals that we missed or we sneak a try uh, with Luke Kanyo-Am and we win that test match. I think anything that wins... Uh, is really important at Test Match Rugby. So you believe that uh, with that All Blacks expansive liking for the game, um, the, the box could shut them down because, uh, you know, uh, they've done it before they, and they're capable of, of denying the All Blacks the, the kind of rugby they want? Yeah, I think they are. But the thing about the All Blacks is that it's not all about expansive because set-piece is, is reliable, can play really physical, can play tight, can play territory, uh, that's the key with the All Blacks is if you, if you shut down plan A, maybe the box will be able to shut down plan A. Well, it's always been a great strength for mine watching the All Blacks play is plan B, plan C, plan D. All parts of their game I talk about is an examination with the All Blacks. You can't just go, well, we're going to shut down their expansive play. Let's rush up and shut it down. What about the varied kicking game we've seen from Richie Mwanga and Bowden Barrett right through this year? You can't just try and shut down one part of the All Blacks game because they're like the Hydra. You've got that many heads, you cut one off and two more grow back. So that's what I'm really interested to see is how the All Blacks go about unpicking that defence and, and, and whether the box can, 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 can really cope with um, the way the All Blacks can shift the way they play the game within an 80-minute period. You know, the player I'm, I'm most happy for uh, about that uh, Wallaby last gasp win the other night is Michael Hooper. I don't think there's anyone that deserved to get on the right side of a tight one um, in a long time as, as Michael Hooper. He, he just continues to amaze us over here. He's got great respect over here, uh, I can tell you, uh, Morgan, for the way he just keeps going at it. Yeah, well, actually, sometimes you feel from you see him go and go for 80 minutes week in, week out, and puts his body on the line, and he's normally got some blood running down his face by the end of it. And, yeah, I think that's, that's a, a big part of it was that you know, he's not even 30 years old yet and he's already equally most cap- captain for the Wallabies with George Gregan. We'll go past that this week. Um, he'll, that's The only thing that will, will stop him going down as an absolute great in the game is, is the trophy cabinet. Um, and so wins like this, when you see a guy put everything into the jersey, everything into the team, continue to grow as a leader as well. 
you know, he had captaincy thrust upon him early. Uh, it's been some hard times for him. <laughs> that's, that's, and, and even the, the decision-making of, of saying to Quaid, no, Quaid, you're my guy, you take the goal. Reese Hodgson up, you mm. step back. Little decisions like that will be a real great moment for him to sit back and have a beer and, and think about a job well done, which he hasn't always been able to do over 100-plus test matches. Morgan, can I ask you an overall question about the game at the moment? One of the things we're finding now is the the officiating of it and uh, the constant referral to uh, the man upstairs, etc., stretching the spectacle out. I mean, uh, there was some sort of figure put through that the All Black game almost lasted two hours. Two hours. Uh, is, is that good for the game? Uh, I know it's important to get things right, but at the expense of everything, is that a problem that you you sort of foresee? Yeah, it's, it's not perfect, is it? Actually, I was pretty happy because Mertz and myself were doing the, the post-game show and we didn't even have to come back on air because there was no time. We went straight to the to the, the Wallabies <laughs> Springboks uh, preparation. So that was great. We got paid to do nothing, just watch rugby. They brushed us, so we were very happy. And I know not all people in TV would have been happy to miss out on their airtime, but both Mertz and I were pretty happy. But, uh, yeah, look, <laughs> there's the balance, isn't there? We want accuracy. Professional sport, professional rugby is, is big business and it's so important to so many people. So... We want the right decisions made, but not at the expense of the entertainment value and the enjoyment that people can take out of it. So there's always a balance. Um, if we can get decisions done really quickly, that's even better. If we can maximise in-play time, that's even better. If we, if we, can, if we can go hard at off-side line and, and maybe make the ruck as clean as we can, then the product itself will look great and maybe the game flows a bit more. But, look, that, that is a little bit of an anomaly, that game. Uh, not often do they go that long. Uh, but for mine, look, it's not ideal, but that balance between accuracy and entertainment is, is, is a tough line to tread at the moment. I think you'd agree with me. Yeah, I do, Morgan. Um, I'm not sure what the easy answer is to it, to be fair to please Yeah, well, I probably but... didn't answer your question uh, there, did I? I? I avoided the question <laughs> for you there. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no problem at all, mate. But uh, great to chat to you overall, uh, particularly um, after a, a really good Wallaby performance. So let's uh, hope they can back up again. Uh, this weekend, and uh, then, of course, uh, they'll get strength and character, I think, and confidence uh, over Argentina. Could be a good month for you guys. Could be a really good month. Well, I think the box are going to bounce back pretty hard. So it'll be great to see if we can cope with that. I know it's coming. The physicality will be ramped up. Can the Wallabies, often, you know, you've seen yourself, the Wallabies will have a good win, maybe even against the All Blacks with a big win, and can't back it up the next week. So that's a huge challenge this week. And just great to have doubleheader rugby in our time zone. Um, and thanks for having me on after a win, not over the, the previous few weeks. Much easier chat to have with you. <laughs> hey, look, we're open-minded here, mate. It was you. It was, <laughs> hey, to be fair... To be fair, it was you or Mertz, and you're always our preference. Okay, good. I'll quote you on that. <laughs> good on you, Morgan. Hey, always good. Always good to catch up with you, mate. Love your comments too uh, on the telly. Uh, Eleven seventeen here uh, in New Zealand on SCNZ. Double eight double three is our text number. We're getting quite a few in on your biggest updates. We're only about twenty minutes away. Our biggest upsets, uh, should I say? We're only twenty minutes away from. Uh, giving our version of that, John Day and I, but uh, certainly uh, we differ from uh, a lot of yours. 88.33, and uh, also the All Blacks. How many changes would you make this weekend? We might talk about that very shortly, John, here on SENZ. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. We've been asking you this morning about uh, your opinion on the biggest upsets in sport. We'll be doing that uh, shortly uh, here at John Day and myself. But uh, good show today, Smithy. What about uh, Kiwi winning the Melbourne Cup? 
um, that was, uh, yeah, I suppose it was an upset. It was a magnificent day out, I can promise you that. Chris Lewis making the Wimbledon final. Well, it certainly was an upset. He beat um, Kevin Curran in the semi-final, but uh, he'd played his final in the semi and was uh, quite easily accounted for in the final by John McEnroe. Well, how about this one? Dave McKenzie uh, winning the 1967 Boston Marathon. First New Zealander to ever do that. So, uh, uh, Wakatani, Fokatani bro. Fokatani bro, get it right. It's um, Maori language, Te Reo week. So get that right, Ian. Fokatani bro. Um, yes, also, hi, Smithy Buster Douglas defeats Mike Tyson at 42 to 1. Great odds in a two-horse race. That's right, Ted. Really good odds in a two-horse race. Uh, morning, Ian. And here's a slightly naughty one from Brian, I am suspecting. I remember watching Anna Kornikova for hours playing tennis with me mates. We will agree that she is the best, greatest of all time tennis players. Uh, thanks very much for your serious input there, Brian. Mm. Okay, John. Uh, you've tempted us before about uh, possible all-black changes going into the weekend. Are you in the school that says well, there should be a multitude of changes? I'm a little bit hesitant to make uh, a heap of them because I don't think you want to open the door for the Pumas because we've done that in the past. It wasn't that long ago they knocked us over in Australia, so uh, or locked, knocked us over anyway. So I, I'm thinking this. I think um, if Bodie's slightly injured and we hear that he might be, then uh, DMAC comes in. Uh, Damian McKenzie comes in at 10, which means Geordie can play at fullback. You can bring Will Jordan in on the wing to play with Sevu Reese, uh, and that would have mean uh, if uh, A or B, Anton Leonard Brown is still a bit suspect with the hamstring that Rico and David Harvelli again. I don't think David Harvelli's getting tired. I think he's a fantastic footballer, and he can just continue on there. Doesn't really worry me at halfback. Uh, I, I think um, Finlay Christie deserves a, a game off the bench. Uh, so either or the other two that you choose, I don't think is a liability there at all. Um, and uh, yes, I do agree that um, even though he's found form now, um, I, I, I kind of think that um, Ioane could do with a spell in the sixth jersey. So I, I'm going to play uh, Blackadder at six. Uh, I'm going to go Adi Savia at seven and give Papali'i a rest and leave Jacobson in the fold. And the rest, not sure about, I don't even think I'd give Brady Retallick arrest because uh, he's the good engine he once was and I don't see any point in resting that engine at the moment. Smithy, we're on the same page. This is strange. Um, you've pretty much read exactly what I've written down, um, except I do have Quintapaya starting at 12 to give Havili a little bit of a break. I know he's in tremendous form, but he's played some big minutes and he quite confrontational minutes as well. He He's carting the ball up as well as a 10 and looking for that physicality. And I just liked what uh, Tupaya bought when he had that last half hour against the Pumas, um, playing alongside Damian McKenzie and potentially Anton Leonard-Brown, so in between a couple of Chiefs players, I think it'll be good for his development. Um, and I do have Ethan Blackadder at six. I wasn't happy when he got tried at seven against Fiji and they absolutely blew him off the park. I don't think that was the right way to introduce Ethan Blackadder. That's not his, not his proper position, but this is at six. And I do have Artie Severe at seven because I like Luke Jacobson. Jeez, he's a player. Um, a really good number eight, and I think Papali'i deserves a break too. And then in our tight five, when we've got some guys, experienced campaigners, who do need some minutes. Joe Moody, I think, came off the bench last week. He could do with a start off a Tuanga Fussy. Hasn't played so far on this tour. think he could do with a start at tight head. Cody Taylor, after missing last week uh, with a head knock, I think he could come back at hooker. Then Patrick Tuipilotu. 
hasn't had any game time on this tour yet as well. He could partner Scott Barrett. So that's still a pretty strong All Blacks team to take on the Pumas, who I don't think will be able to make up that 39 points that they were behind the All Blacks last week, Smithy, even with those changes. Yep, interesting. Uh, but it just uh, emphasises uh, the world of depth that Ian Foster and co have at, at their disposal. Uh, they, they probably had earmarked this game, uh, providing they won well against Argentina, they'd earmarked this game as one of those games where they can mix and mingle a bit, as they probably have the USA game on the way to the uh, Northern Hemisphere and those Europe con- confrontations as well. I think uh, they probably were the two that they, they looked at there. They wanted to make sure they got those first up points against Argentina. Uh, some more uh, text coming in, John, uh, around about uh, the biggest upsets in sport. Uh, Smithy says, Ken, what about Marlborough winning the Ramphilly Shield off the Cantabs back in the 70s? That was an upset, a real upset. Um, another man has come in with John Daly winning the USPGA. Fantastic golfer, John Daly. It was only his form and his behaviour, really, around the time that made that so much of uh, a really, a really special sort of a victory because uh, he's such an unlikely sort of a character uh, in terms of the makeup of a golfer. Uh, Leicester City winning the English Premier League in 2016. Totally agree with that. Um, Mike says, what about Ali beating Sonny Liston at the time way back? Way, way back when uh, he was Cassius Clay uh, beating Sonny Liston. Then later on, uh, Muhammad Ali beating George Foreman uh, against the odds. So, yep. Uh, And... In terms of Hoskins, Satutu needs a game at eight with Akira and Dalton. So that, it's a real blues triumphant there. Uh, that's uh, also from Ken. And uh, Fokatani Bro has come back in with Tino Reko. Tino Reko, translate to sweet as in English. Love it. Tino Reko. Must remember that one from my mate uh, Simon West when I see him at the boozer later on in the week. Uh, yeah, so all sorts of things coming um, into play there, but. By and large, uh, you know, as I said, and it was interesting talking to uh, Morgan Turanui actually just to see how he thinks that Springboks um, may have just, uh, you know, been caught on, on the hop a wee bit um, and they'll bounce back. So that's the early game, John. Just tell me those times, please, for the weekend in terms of our viewing pleasure. Yeah, yeah, I was enjoying that we had 6 o'clock on a Sunday, then we had 7 o'clock on a Sunday, and I was loving that. But this week, we're going to have to stay up a bit later. Uh, we are the second game at Suncorp Stadium. We are the 5 past 10 p.m. game on Saturday night, Smithy, against the Pumas at Suncorp. But then the following week, the big one, the 100th against the Springboks in Townsville, that's back to a 5 past 7 at night on a Saturday, which I much prefer, Smithy. Um, I'm getting old in my old age, heading towards 40 like a cup of tea and not too, uh, staying up too late past 10 o'clock. Okay, Simon Cray for winning the... The British Grand Prix, 1998 World 500cc. No one has even come close, uh, says uh, Stephen. So that's uh, interesting. I can see a Stephen on the line from Auckland at the moment. You know what that is? It's a signal to call us on 0800 150811 because uh, some things don't change. And at the moment, that means your opportunity at this time to stump Smithy and win 50 bucks of vouchers from the TAB. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Here we go, another chance to win 50 bucks thanks to the TAB as we do every day after the 11.30 news and on line one we have Barry from Pukekoi. G'day mate. How you doing? Good thanks mate, how's life in Puki? Oh, still in lockdown, fighting outside of the house in between the showers today. 
Oh, nice, getting stuff done. Um, I haven't done a single thing during lockdown. Um, yeah, I was going to say come round to my place. Can't do that in level four though. So. Going to have to yeah. maybe just get some tips off you instead. All right, you know how this game works. You get three sporting categories. You choose one, and then you get three questions right, and you win 50 bucks from the TAB. But get one wrong, and Smithy can stump you, and you can leave with nothing. Yep, good as golf. All right, Barry, so your sports today are rugby league, cricket, and golf. Which one are you going for? Oh, I'll stay away from cricket, because Smithy should be sharp at that. Um, I'll go... Rugby league. Rugby league. Nice. All right. Best of luck to you, Barry. Question number one on rugby league. I've gone with a bit of a theme here. You'll probably discover it if you last three questions. But question number one. Former All Black John Timu played 101 games for Otago before switching codes and playing for which NRL club? I think it was the Canterbury Bulldogs. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Yeah, John Timu, Smithy, great player. Fantastic. Lindisfarne, Hawks Bay, uh, Otago, and then, of course, uh, All Black. Yeah, terrific player. Absolutely wonderful bloke too, Johnny Timu. Awesome. Yep, won a premiership too in his first year with the Bulldogs in 95, so went not too bad. All right, Barry, you're off the mark. Well done, mate. Question number two. Daryl Halligan played for Waikato before joining the 13-man game in 1991. Which NRL club did he link up with? He was also a uh, Canterbury Bulldog, I believe. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. He eventually was. Smithy, chance for a stumping. Warriors? No, not correct. No, 1991, the Auckland Warriors weren't even around. It was the North Sydney Bears that Daryl Halligan went to. I think he played with Sean Hoppy there as well. Um, Yeah, and Sean Hoppy ended up with the Warriors. And, yep, Daryl Halligan ended up with the Bulldogs, one of the best kickers rugby league has ever seen. So you're still alive, Barry. Last question. Which two All Blacks with the name Mark joined the Auckland Warriors in 1996? Oh, um, Mark Ellis and Mark Carter. There he goes, all the way up into the stand. What a hit in the first tier. That's hitting a cricket ball. There you go, Smithy. Mark Ellis, I think we can all remember playing for the Warriors with his mop of hair, but Mark Carter is definitely one that not a lot of people know, but Barry did. Yeah, I knew that too. I had them right on the tip of my tongue there. So, uh, so yeah, Mark Carter, probably one of the most maligned footballers in any code, to be perfectly honest, uh, a name from the past, a uh, very successful man now and uh, very big into um, the thoroughbred industry as well, Mark Carter, along with his fa- uh, father and brother. Uh, they were uh, very big there, but uh, not uh, not too big for Barry. Barry got it. He got us this morning, John. Well done, Barry. Uh, congratulations. Make sure you stay on the line uh, and we shall get your details and get those vouchers to you quick smart so you can turn it into a lot more money. Uh, thanks very much for joining the show, Barry. Thanks, Smitty. Yep, cheers. 11.36 here uh, on uh, SENZ uh, and John Day when we return. It is Mount Rushmore time, and don't forget to play Jimmy. Behind the stumps to behind the mic, you're in safe hands. It's Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. <laughs> Thank you.
Right, so that is Jimi Hendrix, and that is the Star Spangled Banner, which uh, tells us it's Mount Rushmore time uh, for John Day and I. And each week uh, around this time, we will uh, come up with four different aspects of uh, probably sporting matters that uh, we figure are the four most important of all time. So this is always subject to opinion. Uh, but today, uh, our four each, uh, not necessarily the same ones, but four each, uh, will be uh, about the biggest upsets in sport. And this is, of course, on the back of uh, Emma Raducanu winning as a qualifier the other day. Just prompt us a, prompted us a wee bit um, with that wonderful story. So uh, let's go to my number four. John, my number four. He's got uh, a and, problem uh, with them jobs anyway. Yeah. I've got yep, a problem with him jabs, and he wasn't moving as much as he was before. Then I pivoted, you know, I had got leverage and came up with it, you know, a real good uppercut. Bow. Oh, the uppercut! Oh, so, oh shit. That's all on to my mind. What an uppercut by Douglas, and down goes Tyson. And I'm thinking crazy. I'm saying... They won't allow me to fight if I don't have the mouthpiece in my mouth. So I'm, I'm grabbing for the mouthpiece. So it was over. I tried to get up and I mostly, I was hazy. I didn't know where I was at. He's, he, it's over. It's over. Mike Tyson has been knocked out. Uh, the second voice you heard there was uh, out of uh, Iron Mike Tyson, of course, who was leveled in the 10th round by James Buster Douglas. The first voice you heard. Uh, that was back in 1990. He was 42 to one outsider. This is just a two-horse race, remember? 42 to one outsider, James Buster Douglas. Uh, both Americans, of course, taking the fight to Japan. Um, he won the WBC, WBA, IBF titles with that uppercut. Uh, he held it to, for nine months. Eventually, he lost to Evander Holyfield. He fought for ten years, though, James Buster Douglas. But that was certainly uh, his moment in the sun, and that is not a pun. No, and that is that, that is the moment that's brought up the most, I think. It's probably the most we've had on the text this morning, that Buster Douglas. It's probably the most famous. So a very solid start there, Smithy. My number four is a bit closer to home. So 10 years from Larry Wilk and slip away, Michael Campbell is going to win the US Open. Michael Campbell wins the US Open, and I only think, uh, well, he was an underdog already. I think he missed the cut for the previous four US Opens in a row. He was really a no-name coming into the tournament, and even on that last day, he was sitting in fourth place, and all eyes were on Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods very much established by 2005. That red polo shirt was on, Smithy, and when that red polo's on on the last day, that means Tiger Woods wins. But he didn't on that day. It was Michael Campbell, this Kiwi kid, uh, so proudly wearing his Moldy apparel as well. Uh, was so cool, and uh, I think he made a great birdie on the 17th just to kind of seal it so he could enjoy it coming down the 18th, and when he finally nailed that last putt, the hat came down over his face, and he just so emotional, he couldn't believe what he achieved. And I think Michael Campbell winning the 2005 US Open is my number four of the greatest sporting upsets of all time. Okay, I really appreciate that. That's a good one. I hadn't even considered it. Hadn't even considered it, perhaps, because I rated Michael Campbell so highly, and yep. at that time, he was having a heck of a year. Uh, number three uh, is a world-famous one for me. Uh, I've, I'm unashamedly, I haven't gone with a New Zealand at all. This one uh, really did rock the world. Shooting it into the American end again. Morrow is back there. Now Johnson, 19 seconds. Johnson over to Ramsey. The Yolentinov gets checked by Ramsey. McClanahan is there. 
lose. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Unbelievable. How about that for commentary? Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Lake Placid, New York, the 1980 Winter Olympics, and uh, a team full of basically amateur ice hockey players, amateur ice hockey players, took on the might of Russia, who had won five out of six gold medals, uh, and uh, they were all fully professional players, and, uh, of course, the uh, United States team, coached by Herb Brooks, was just comprised of mostly amateurs, only four players with minimal minor league experience, and uh, we don't quite understand the passion or the importance of ice hockey in this country, but in those two countries, it is absolutely huge. So for America, the USA to knock over uh, Russia on that particular occasion, the Soviet Union on February the 22nd, 1980, I think is number three in my list and justifiably so. Yeah, nah, you've done bloody well there. I didn't even think about ice hockey. I'm one of those guys, uh, uninitiated, but incredible story. Miracle on ice, great commentary, great moment. Uh, my number three, Smithy, uh, we've seen an 18-year-old woman win the US Open. What about a 17-year-old man winning Wimbledon? Well, and how appropriate. He wins the title, again with the weapon that has stood him in such wonderful state throughout this championship. And that Thunderbolt service, and what a tremendous performance. This boy of 17, who came here in his second Wimbledon, and here is a player. He learned his tennis on clay, and so quickly has pulled the championship off on grass. Boris Becker, unseeded, uh, unheard of really at the time in 1985. The big names in tennis were John McEnroe, Jimmy Connors. They were dominating at Wimbledon especially. But a 17-year-old kid, Smithy, out of nowhere, out of Germany, uh, winning Wimbledon, the grass court Grand Slam. I think that's right up there in terms of world sporting upsets. And he went on to have a tremendous career. So for me, Boris Becker, 1985, winning Wimbledon as a 17-year-old is a huge upset. Controversial man, spent a bit of time in a broom cupboard as well, so uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Boris Becker, absolutely outstanding, outstanding choice that. My number two, uh, my number two, John, goes to this one in rugby. Katakawa. Japan, one of the most famous victories in the history of sports, I'd go as far as saying, not just in the game of rugby union. Goromaru then, it's all academic. Our eyes have seen the glory. It's a rugby miracle. Yeah, Khan Hesketh. Khan Hesketh uh, was part of a squad that contained uh, three or four players who weren't even born the last time that the Brave Blossoms won a game in the World Cup. Well, they went to Brighton, of all places, Brighton in England, and knocked over one of the tournament favourites in the, the mighty Springboks, of course. Uh, the World Cup was won by the All Blacks at Twickenham, that uh, particular tournament. But I think that result there, that result there, um, was one of the most amazing results uh, in the history of rugby, if not the most, in terms of 
David and Goliath, number two. Yeah, completely agree. And it is my number two as well, Smithy. And I can uh, just point you in the direction of a great movie. Timuera Morrison stars it is Eddie Jones, The Miracle at Brighton. An absolute ripper of a movie. So if you haven't watched it, Smithy, I'd say give it a good watch. So my number two is Japan beating the Springboks in 2015 as well. So what is your number one greatest sporting upset of all time? Well, it might be a bit knee-jerky, but it just happened the other day. It was just absolutely sensational. It'll take me a long time to get over this, to go from Bromley to Flushing Meadow and achieve this staggering. How's that for an ending? She went 10 rounds without dropping a set. She came in here ranked 150 in the world, and she leaves the U.S. Open champion. Say hello to Emma Raducanu. Yep, Emma Raducanu, that's my number one. Uh, to go from that far back, from that far away, to win without dropping a set, unbelievable performance, and staggeringly big upset, staggeringly big, and good on the, good on the young girl. Love it. Yeah, not sure whether we'll see that again uh, in history, a qualifier coming through like that and winning 10 games in a row in straight sets. I've gone with a sport I normally don't go with as my number one. Screams of elation as Leicester City made history by winning the Premier League. From underdog to top dog, their journey from 5,000 to 1 odds to Premier League champions has been watched by many and celebrated by the people of Leicester and beyond. I can't even put it into words. I've never, ever been so proud of being from Leicester. Speechless. Speechless. Magic. Just magic. <laughs> yeah, That's all I can say. It's yeah. like magic. We won it. We won it, mate. We won it. Five thousand to one odds, Smithy. At the start of the season, Premier League, you play every team home and away. There's no fluke. The uh, Leicester City, 2016, winning the Premier League is my number one upset in sporting history, and a very valid choice as well, John. Congratulations on that one. Just goes to show how many there are when you really start to think deeply about it. And we've had so many more too on, on our switchboard through the texts this, uh, this, this morning. I'm sure uh, Mark Stafford, uh, his uh, biggest upset will have been North Auckland. Uh, taking the Ramfieldy Shield off Manawatu. Not necessarily uh, the fact that it was the biggest upset in the sport. It was the one that upset him the most. That was the one I'm getting at. So we'll be with Staffy very shortly as we talk about his show this afternoon. Zealand. Nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, just time to uh, get across to uh, Mark Stafford. Really busy morning for us to... I imagine a very busy afternoon for you, Staff. Uh, we were just talking about sporting upsets and those that have really surprised us. I was saying perhaps the, 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 the sporting upset that upset you the most uh, was uh, when North Auckland won the Ranfilly Shield off Manawatu in the 49th minute of the second half. That upset you, I'll bet. Oh, it did. Not only Bill Adlam giving the penalty, but Chippy Seminoff kicking it, uh, Smithy, as I was sitting on the stock car mm-hmm. track behind the dead ball line. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Thanks, mate. Okay, all good, mate. No problem. Okay, so let's get on to Brighton. A brighter note then. Uh, what have you got on your show this afternoon, Mark Stafford? Um, well, you're a follower of the English Premier League. We have one mm. of the leading uh, commentators, Peter Drury, who called the Cristiano Ronaldo game in the weekend. 
and uh, I've actually pre-recorded that. What a lovely, lovely gentleman and a great chat, um, all things Premier League, but mainly around the Cristiano Ronaldo return and what that's done for Manchester United and the English Premier League in general. Uh, the Tall Ferns, uh, sorry, what are they? The, the Tall Blacks, all these nicknames. Mm. Uh, heading off to Jordan for the Asia Cup. So we've got Tessa Boagney joining us. And you'll remember Kerry oh. Boagney, I'm sure. The Jazz Man. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so we'll have him. Uh, we're close to getting Mike Santo, who's an NFL writer for The Athletic as well. And we're just locking down someone to chat with us about the NPC, which is getting underway again. Good on you, mate. I hope you have a great show this afternoon. Uh, Leah, we've been busy, but it's uh, been a great cross-section. Uh, to you, Trudy, thank you so much for your time and effort this morning. Uh, not sure about the red shoes with the blue and the black, but however, uh, that's only radio fashion. Um, the other thing is, uh, Brian, absolutely outstanding, getting everyone up on a perfect re- record this morning. JD, you've been very good. The all and for my Pakistani bros, Kenoreka, Kenoreka, sweet ass. Right.